Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 454. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here with us. I'm also thrilled to introduce today's guest, Jonathan Robinson. Jonathan is the president of FindingHappiness.com and MoreLoveLessConflict.com. And after living in a van in his 20s, he's written 12 books. Jonathan, I'm having trouble writing one, so I'm just so intrigued. 12 books produced two videos. You've been on Oprah on the cover of Newsweek. My goodness. I just want to say welcome. And I want to hear a whole lot more about your journey. Well, I'll begin with that I was blessed to have a very dysfunctional and unhappy childhood. And I say blessed because that got me looking for alternatives. I kind of had my midlife crisis around age 12 and started to look into self-hypnosis and meditation and self-help books. And so I got started early and I uh, just went as far as I could with all that. At age 12, you started looking into hypnosis? I was the youngest certified hypnotist in America, age 13. Oh, my goodness. And <laughs> I was doing hypnosis shows by age 14 and meditating every day by age 14 as well. Wow. See, I wouldn't have even known anything about it. I was just never exposed. At ages 12, 13, and 14, I was so wrapped up in reading like the teenage magazines at the moment. I didn't even realize... And I got to be totally honest, Jonathan, I, I didn't know a thing about the whole world of personal development until I was 30. Wow. Yeah, that's why I say it's kind of lucky that I had a miserable childhood. You know, I was depressed and I couldn't leave my family. I couldn't go outward. So I went inward and found the stuff that really worked for me. And when I found something that really worked for me, then I started to put them in my books, figuring that if it worked for me, it might work for other people. How did it, though, even occur to you, if you don't mind, like if you recall, to look inwardly? Because I've seen so many family members and friends who went the wrong way, if, yeah. if I can say it that way, rather than looking inwardly or looking for good solutions, decided just to be miserable and went down the path of drugs or alcohol or just self-harm route. Right. So yeah. growing up in a situation, like, and I don't know anything about your situation, but growing up as you did, how did it even occur to you to go that way? I think what happened was my uncle was a hypnotist who would do hypnosis shows. And I'd see that he could take somebody who was, say, really shy and depressed and turn them into Mick Jagger singing at the top of their lungs. They can't get no satisfaction. And that took five minutes. And I was like, how is that possible? Well, maybe I can change myself into somebody who's happy or somebody who knows how to communicate. And so that was really the start of it. I had hope in it because I saw some pretty dramatic demonstrations. And eventually, you know, it took some time, but those things did come to pass. You know, I've, I 
got on Oprah a bunch. I've been on the cover of Newsweek. And I don't have the fears that I used to have. And the good news is I think these things are available to everyone if they find the methods that work for them. I love that you brought that up. And I've shared this on the podcast before. Listeners, you've heard me apologize, but I'm actually going to stop being sorry about it. I tend to repeat stories, but I was struggling with my 15-year-old son a few months ago who was just having a bad mood and bad attitude. And I encouraged him to read a couple books. Actually, I told him he was grounded. But if he wanted to speed up the grounding process, here's a couple personal development books that you can read. And we did see a turnaround. So I wish it was more prominent in all young children. I wish I had been introduced from a younger age. Now, you say that like fear, can you say that you've outgrown fear? Or do you think everybody still has fear? I think everybody has some fear and fear can be useful. You know, you don't want to drive off a cliff. But the psychological fears that I used to have that prevented me from, say, connecting with others. You know, I used to be terrified of rejection. And now I've interviewed everybody from the late Mother Teresa to the Dalai Lama to Deepak Chopra. And people say, how'd you meet those people? And I said, well, when I was 17, I decided to get rejected by 10 women in one day, figuring that the best way out of my fear was to face it head on. And, you know, I was terrified. I had beads of sweat dripping down my face. I was shaking. First woman I went up to, she thought I was having an epileptic seizure, you know, so it wasn't pretty. But I soon saw that as I did that over and over again, it was, you know, no big deal. Like I wasn't going to die of embarrassment. And the seventh woman that I asked out, she actually said yes. And <laughs> I was going to ask you, so what if one of those women said yes? What would you do? Well, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a script for yes. You know, I, uh-huh. I had a script for no. So, you know, she had to convince me she really wanted to go out with me. I wrote down her number. Well, then I was filled with confidence and I didn't care whether I got rejected or not. I was aiming for 10 rejections. So the next woman said yes. And the next woman said yes. And the next woman said yes. I got eight straight dates because once you're somewhat fearless, you get a certain attractiveness a certain magneticness to you that people want to be around. So my life nowadays really has that, mostly through communication skills and the fact that I'm not afraid of rejection the way I used to be. So little things can make a huge difference in a person's life. So I've always been looking for what are those little things that I can get better at that would make a huge difference. Oh, I love that. And I've seen that in my own business and life as well. Mm-hmm. And I definitely cannot say I'm fearless and I probably never will be, but we'll just, and I had to add there too, I'm a mom of five. Wow. I don't think there will ever be a fearless night in my house, you know, just worrying about where the kids are and what they're up to. And I look forward to the day that they're all out of the house, but I know I'll, that doesn't mean I'll stop worrying. So that's why I say I'll never be fearless. But I can see that with more confidence, more amazing opportunities have come. But I needed to be more confident and fearless in my own life and in business in order for those great things to happen, great experiences to happen. Yeah. So my journey was really, you know, I'm kind of lazy. So I noticed that if a method took longer than a minute to do, I generally wouldn't do it. So I became 
fearless and very focused on finding the best methods that would lead to more love or more peace and more fearlessness that took under a minute to do. And it ends up a lot of people are interested in that. So my books are basically the best methods garnered from people like Oprah, the Dalai Lama, or all these well-known people that have figured out little things that really do make a difference. I mean, Oprah's a good example. She was so poor, she never lived in a house that even had a bathroom. And she was in the retarded people's class in school. She was raped twice by the time she was 14. And then she ended up being the most loved person on the planet. And I asked her, well, how did that happen? You know, that seems miraculous. And she said, well, I learned that there's a secret key to getting what you want. And I said, what is that? She said, it's giving people understanding and empathy. So I didn't have anything else to give. So I gave them understanding and empathy. And it looks like it turned out pretty good. And, you know, when we learn little things like that, our lives really can skyrocket to a whole other level. At the risk of sounding negative, is there such thing as giving too much empathy, in your opinion? I have only met one person that I felt did that. I'd say it's more accurate to say that it's possible to give empathy inappropriately or ineffectively. So, you know, empathy is a skill and you have to know how to do it appropriately and effectively. And when you do, it almost appears like you have a superpower because everybody wants it or almost everybody wants it. And not many people are good at giving it. Hmm. I really like that. I guess my concern was that for a long time, I've given so much of myself that I've given too much of myself to everybody else that I was forgetting about taking care of myself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think it's actually somewhat common, especially for women who have a big heart, to be too empathetic and too feeling into other people. And for them, they have to learn how to protect themselves from other people's feelings so that they don't just drown in other people's pain. So I think that does happen, and it is a skill that one can also learn as well. I know that just before we hopped onto the call, you said that you had just gone and worked out, which to me is confusing because you said that you were lazy and you want one minute, but working out isn't necessarily a one-minute task. (laughs) That's true, but I do have a very simple method I do. Please. I was like, wait, I want to know the one-minute workout. (laughs) Well, no, there is a seven-minute workout you can find online that's really good. But to motivate myself, I say that I will work out three times a week. And each time that I don't do that, I will take a $2 and rip it up. Well, I'm also cheap besides lazy, so I don't want to rip up $2. So that motivates me to get to the gym. Ooh, can I borrow that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because actually, I just this morning scheduled it in my calendar that I'm going to go sign up at the Y two days from now. And you might wonder Uh why two days from now. It's because today and tomorrow are absolutely packed and I'm not taking my children with me to fill out all the paperwork, right? So I decided Thursday is wide open. I'll go do it then. But I was having that inner conversation. I know when I have time to go during a given day to the gym and that time is before the rest of my house wakes up. 
mm-hmm. but I like my sleep. And I, it's something yeah. I talk about on Positive Productivity all the time about how we all need to take up care of our own self-care and we need to make sure that we're getting proper sleep. But I love my sleep. I also tend to get my second wind about 8 p.m. at night. Yeah, My clients are leaving me alone. I love my clients, but they're leaving me alone for the most part. All the ideas start rushing in. So last night I crashed at about midnight. So, you know, I was like having that struggle with my inner demon. I don't know how else to call it. But Kim, are you really going to be getting up at 530 to go to the gym? But I know that that's what I need to do. And $2 isn't going to work for me. I might have to up it a little bit. But I love that and I'm going to borrow it. So thank you. Yeah, it works really well. And it's also useful to make really small goals. Like Mm -hmm. if I go to the gym for five minutes, that's success, a minimum of five minutes. And if I don't go to the gym, I have to rip up two bucks. You'd be surprised at how effective that is. You know, my most recent book is called More Love, Less Conflict. And I talk a lot about doing these really simple things that make a huge difference in the amount of love. One of them is just saying a sincere appreciation to your partner every day. And studies show that the happiest couples are couples who say appreciations to each other every single day. Well, you know, I forget, I get caught up in stuff. So then I said, every day that I don't do that, I will rip up a dollar at the end of the day. Well, I've been doing that for two years. And in two years, I've only had to rip up $1. And my wife says that I am so much more loving and our relationship is like at a 10 now. And it's little things like that that can really make a big difference. And it only takes a minute. You know, there's always something she's doing that I appreciate. I just used to forget to tell her. I'm borrowing that too. I know I'm not the only one inspired. So listeners, I want you to go over to the show notes and share how you're already inspired. But Jonathan, I'll be laying in bed some nights after, you know, I've just given up work and I'm trying to get to sleep. And actually Sunday night, I was looking at my husband. He was already asleep. And it occurred to me, I don't know if I told my husband, I love you this weekend. And I felt so rotten. But then I started thinking about my children. Did I tell my children, all of them, that I love them this weekend? Mm-hmm. Not even today. I just mean this weekend. And it occurred to me, I don't know if I did. So if I did that for each person in my family every day, and I really do mean it, it's just we all get so wrapped up in everything else that's going on. That would be family changing just so that they heard me actually saying it and they know it and they feel it. But then also that dollar that's where it will add up really fast, Jonathan. Because <laughs> there's six of them, you know, my husband and five children. If I don't tell each yeah. of them, that's $6 in the day. And I don't go to Starbucks, like, except for maybe once or twice a year. But still, that's something else that I'm not doing. Or maybe I have to just invest it or donate it to charity or something. I mean, that would be awesome, too. You know, instead uh-huh. of ripping it up, what can I do with it? What do I get to do? What do I have to do? I don't like the have-tos, but what do I get to do with the money instead? Yeah. Mm. Well, the key is to find what works for you. And what I like to do is give people lots of really, really simple, powerful tools that can help them to create more love in their life or more peace. Because I think those are the two experiences everybody wants. And most people don't have an abundance of both of them. 
So we have to make it really easy. You know, people spend an average of four hours a day watching TV. And one of the reasons they do that is because we've made it so easy to watch TV. There's 600 channels by moving your thumb a quarter of an inch. And we need to have similar methods that make it so easy to, you know, have more love or less conflict or more peace that people will go that way. And when you go that way, your life gets better. And not only your life, but you start to teach your children or the people you love how to communicate better, how to have more peace in their life. So it's it's something that's not just for you, it's for everybody you know. Wow. You're changing my family right now. <laughs> I hope so. It's already good. So it's it's always good to make it even better. Oh, it, I love my family. It really is already good. But I'm. you've even got me thinking about how, and I've never admitted this on the podcast, but I rarely eat dinner at the kitchen table with my family mm-hmm. because it feels like I'm very often, I should say, trying to get just one more thing done, trying to get one more thing done. Plus, we have a shortage of chairs, but that's not an excuse. It would take me like two minutes to go down, you know, to Walmart or the local thrift shop and get a couple more chairs. Mm-hmm. So why don't I? Well, a lot of people think they don't have time. And so I tried to develop methods that take under a minute. And on my website, I have a, it's a free download. Your listeners can get it called the 12 Questions of Instant Intimacy. And these are questions you can ask your family or friends that always leads to a immediate intimate connection and conversation. So it doesn't need to take a lot of time. It just takes really the right tools, the right approaches. And, you know, if you look at the word intimacy, the instructions are kind of in the word, into me see. So when you reveal stuff about yourself, that doesn't take very long. It helps to create a open space for connection with somebody you care about. Absolutely. I didn't expect to get on here and just have my mind blown. Like, you've totally taken me off track. I warned you, and listeners have heard it in in previous episodes, you know, how I stack my questions. But you've got me doing so much inward thought right now. I'm, I'm even thinking about the stack of children's books that we have and how little mm-hmm. they are touched, right? Or even the stack of my own books and how little they are touched just for the busyness of being busy. Yeah, busyness is, is a real problem nowadays. You know, we all have these uh, what I call WMDs in our pocket, not weapons of mass destruction, but widgets of mass distraction. And we have to realize that, you know, having a thousand Facebook friends or getting a lot done is not the value of one really good friend or one really good child that you're connected with. So then the question becomes, well, okay, what can I do while I'm driving my child to the school, you know, four minutes that makes it so I feel really connected to them? And if you want, we could try a method or two right now so your listeners can get an idea of some of the 50 methods in the More Love, Less Conflict book. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's one where we'll get to know each other. We can just complete the sentence, if you really knew me, you would know blank. So, Kim, if you really knew me, you'd know that I am very passionate about communication, but on these shows, I sometimes worry that I come off too much as a salesman because I hate salesmen, and I think that these things can change people's lives, but I don't want to to sound like 
you know, somebody who's proselytizing. So if I really knew you, what would I know? If you really knew me, you'd know that when I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, it's not because I can't or don't care to stop and take time to talk to you. It's because I've overcommitted uh-huh. and I'm really just rushing around to make everybody else happy. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That's a common problem nowadays. I struggle with that myself. We'll do one more. If you really knew me, you'd know that a friend of mine now is having a hard time and I'm going to be talking to her later. And I'm a little nervous about that call because she has a cancer that she's treating. And mm. so part of my mind is thinking about her. And if you really knew me, you would know that part of the reason why I'm so driven to succeed in my business is to spend more time with my family here in my house, as mm. well as my family that's back in New York, who I haven't seen in a couple of years. Mm. Well, I wish success for you, but you know, that's a long-term success. What is really great about some of these tools is you get that sense of immediate connection, even on the mm. phone, that we sometimes think someday I'll get the chance to spend the quality time I want. But I think if you like do simple things like just tell your kids something that you appreciate about them whenever you think of it, you know, one of the tools is just say, something I noticed about you today that I appreciated is, and you fill in that blank, or other questions that open people up. A lot of times people complain that, well, I'd like to communicate, but my partner isn't into it. But in reality, it only takes one good communicator to change the whole relationship. You know, if I ask you, what brings you your deepest sense of joy? You don't say, hey, I'm not interested in talking to you. You're interested by that question. Oh, so yeah. it really only takes one person to change the nature of how couples or people communicate. And that's why I, I really love those types of tools. Do you have a book on that? The 50? Yeah. Well, that's what the More Love, Less Conflict book is oh, all so about, it's... is 50 different tools that you can generally do in under a minute. See, I got so excited. I wasn't even like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It generally leads to a very quick connection or very quick resolution of conflict. Like, for example, my wife and I, 20 years ago, used to argue a lot. Well, we haven't had an argument in five years because we came up with a tool that only requires two words, and that is the words are yellow light, and whenever we notice that we're getting a little bit upset and we're starting to get into a momentum of upset, either one of us can say yellow light, and that requires us to take two minutes to be quiet, holding hands, and just relax and calm down so we don't hurt each other or say something stupid. Well, that eliminated 100% of our arguments. So, you know, some of these things are so simple yet so effective that they really can transform couples or people's lives very quickly. We don't use the words yellow light in our house, but my husband knows he's learned that about me. Is that mm -hmm. if I'm really heated... And I don't know where I learned this from, but I need a few minutes to process. And I might say something at the end of that, you know, but I'm not going to be 
outbursting, whatever's in my mind, that initial thought. So it took him a little while into our relationship and we've been together almost eight years now where at the beginning he would say, are you going to say anything? And now if I don't say anything right away, he realizes, nope, I'm just going to let her stew <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> or, uh-huh. or not necessarily stew, but really just think because that yellow light process is amazing. I'm borrowing that one too. You kind of discovered your own version of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it saves so many arguments. Listeners, I know, you know, Jonathan, I know, you know, often if you say that one thing that's in your head at the moment, oh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, you can take a two minute break or you can spend 10 hours processing the stupid thing you said when you didn't take that two minute break. Right. It's not always the best case scenario to act first and ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. Yeah. So what is another thing that's worked really well for you? I know that's a huge question. Well, no, there's so many to choose from. I like using the thing, right now I'm feeling Mm -hmm. blank and I'm wanting blank. You know, just telling whoever you're with what you're feeling and wanting helps to steer the communication towards what you're wanting, you know? But a lot of times we don't know what our partner's feeling or what our child is feeling and wanting, and therefore we're not good at giving it to them You know, the success in relationships, if you give people what they want, such as understanding and empathy and what they're asking for, they'll give you what you want. And that makes everything go a lot better. But people don't necessarily say that straight out. So if you say it straight out, it tends to lead relationships to being much more fulfilling. I have to ask, though, and I have my own personal reason for asking. Mm-hmm. I married my high school sweetheart when we were way too young to get married. And yeah. I would say things like I'm feeling and I would be told I was wrong. Or I would say what would make the difference. Like I was that communicator. Like I let him know, you know, it would mean a lot to me if I could have a kiss on the cheek or on the mouth preferred before you left for uh-huh. work in the morning. Or send me a text message during the day to let me know you're thinking about me. Or send me an email and he got annoyed when I would send emails to him during the day. Uh-huh. They weren't risky or anything, but hey, how's your day going? Don't bother me at work. When is the time to walk away rather than keep on pushing forward? Or in your opinion, is there not a time to? Well, you bring up the whole subject of how do you effectively deal with disagreements and conflict? of people do is they do blame and blame never works. I've never once blamed my partner telling her what she's doing wrong, where she then said, oh, yeah, now I see what you're talking about. Thank you for showing me the errors of my ways. That's never happened, Kim, you know. So if you can eliminate blame, and I talk about ways of doing that in the More Love, Less Conflict book, if you can eliminate that, then there are very simple ways where you negotiate what will work for both of you. You know, simply asking your partner, what are a couple ideas of how we can deal with this that might work better for both of us? You know, that's the type of thing that you want to do rather than who's right, who's wrong, who's to blame, who's not to blame. Those things don't go well, but with the right question or the right technique, you come to an agreement how to handle the inevitable conflicts that will arise in any relationship. Yeah, I can see that. So I'm since divorced from him and remarried, mm-hmm. and I feel really good talking to you. It feels like 
unknowingly, we've been laying down a lot of the foundation that you talk about, which feels great. I can see a lot of ways of improvement, even just of the few points you've already talked about. Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on the book just to see what else I can do. (laughs) But it just feels good to know that we've already got those little foundations down. But communication was the key right from the start. I mean, we both had exes that we were incompatible with. I never have couples come into my office and say, we really understand each other quite well. That's why we're wanting a divorce. You know, but I have the other happen all the time where people say, I just don't understand them. And, you know, if couples can get to a place where they really understand their partner, things almost always go well and conflicts generally get reduced to zero. So some of the techniques are just how to really understand your partner's thinking and to really get them. Because when we feel gotten by somebody, when we feel like they really understand us, so many things are immediately resolved and you feel connected to them. You feel the love right away. Oh, I can see that. (laughs) And I just had to share an example. Sometimes when I'm not talking, it's not because I'm stewing. Actually, sometimes if I'm not talking, it's actually because I'm hungry. Uh huh. Listeners, maybe you understand the hangries or the hungry grumpies. Yes. It's a real thing. It's not just Snickers commercials. And my husband gets that. And he's like, uh-huh. what, what have you had to eat today? <laughs> uh, coffee. Mm. <laughs> and now all of a sudden there's a plate of food on my desk because he realizes. But there's those little hidden cues that often we're not even looking for because we're so stuck on busy that we're not. That we haven't even taken the time from the beginning of the relationship to realize that these things do exist. Yeah. And these helpful technologies, I call them, for getting back to a place of love or peace exist. But most people don't know them, and they're trying to hold things together in this stressful age without the methods that they need in this fast-paced, crazy world to get back to intimacy and connection quickly. So I feel bad for people who don't have these tools because they have to work a lot harder, and it tends not to go as well because if the only language you know of is blame and shame and complain – then you're going to have a tough go in your relationships. Oh, yeah. I've never asked this on the podcast before, but I'm inspired to ask you. Mm-hmm. If Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, if they all disappeared overnight and there was no alternative, do you think the world would be better off or worse off than it is now? Well, I think, For most people, they would actually be better off because studies show that like when people are on Facebook, they feel worse after being on Facebook. And we've gone for quantity of connection, like on Facebook, but we're really yearning for quality. You know, we're really yearning for that real deep connection where somebody gets us and, you know, we cry together or laugh together. And Facebook and text messaging, they don't really do that. And that's why a lot of people feel kind of a hole in their heart that they don't quite know how to fill. I agree with you. I see friends who have 5,000 friends on Facebook, and I don't really understand. But I would have to say that maybe one out of every 10 friend requests that I get, I may accept. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't know the person, then I don't accept them. Like, it's not that I don't accept them. That's so strong, isn't it? Um, Such a strong word, accept. Well, you don't know them. 
Right. I just don't accept their friend request. There we go. It's not that yeah. I don't accept them as a person, but I don't know them. And I really do want those quality driven relationships where I've actually even had a conversation, just even a short conversation with somebody before they're brought into my inner circle where I'm sharing deeper knowledge about myself, just more about what's going on in my personal life than have more and more and more. Yeah. Last night, actually, I found myself just scrolling on Facebook. And at the end of an hour, I was like, what did I just do? Right? Like, I had a whole bunch of other things I could have been doing. But now I've just been nosy and looking at the profiles of a whole bunch of other people. Yes, I'm nosy. I'm, I think a lot of people are very nosy. But was that really a good use of time? I mean, I could have been having a conversation with my husband or my kids instead. But no, I was scrolling. Yeah. Well, that's why we need to find ways to make deep connections more common and really, really easy and even quick. And that's kind of what the book is about, how to do that. Because, you know, people like Oprah or the Dalai Lama, these great communicators, they've learned little tricks that most people don't know. And that's what has allowed them to be loved by millions and to even do better in their career because they're doing things that the rest of us haven't yet learned for getting to a place of deep intimacy and connection quickly. I'm sitting here nodding like you can see it. <laughs> no, I got it, Kim. I got it. Yeah, you got it. Wow. <laughs> if you could have a conversation with my 15-year-old not knowing him at all, what uh -huh. is something that you believe every 15-year-old today needs to be more aware of and start doing? Well, I'd say first realize that all 15-year-olds are insecure mm -hmm. and that if you can give kindness and appreciation to people, you will be well rewarded. And that if you learn a little bit about communication, the course of your life will be transformed in a couple hours because people want love, people want kindness, people want understanding, but not many people know how to give it. So if you're the one that's giving it, it will look like you have a superpower and everybody will want to know you. Yeah. I'm thinking back to when I was 15 and I at least had conversations with my friends on the phone. I mean, it was the early days of AOL, right? So we mm -hmm. didn't, not all of us had even internet at that time. But we had conversations on the phone. We would have sleepovers. There were no smartphones. There were no cell phones, okay? But now it's a totally different thing. They take a, a Snapchat or an Instagram picture, and that's their communication. I can tell you that in the last 15 years, I think my phone has maybe rung once or twice for my children. Mm -hmm. But I remember growing up, my parents were like tired of the phone ringing all the time. I remember they got one of my sisters her own phone line just so they would stop getting up. They would know it was her phone ringing and not theirs. Yeah, But the communication just isn't there. And even now, we text message each other to see if it's okay to call. Right? Uh -huh. Are you busy? Can you imagine that, you know, 20 years ago, rather than just picking up the phone and calling, like you're checking first to see if it's okay. Yeah. All these additional means of communication are almost stopping communication. Or making it more superficial. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn how to, in this new world, adjust and find, in a way, new technologies. They're not 
like smartphones, they're, they're really simple techniques. There's certain questions, there's certain fill-in-the-blank statements that can work magic that even with all that widgets of mass distraction, we can get back to the love and connection that is really what we're hungering for deep down. What is your relationship with the widgets? I have them off a large part of the day, and I also try to use them more consciously by even texting things that I appreciate about people. But I don't generally just answer my phone unless it's from somebody that I know and want to talk to and have the available space to talk to them. So I make appointments to you know, do Skype calls or things like that with friends. And I said like, you know, an hour, let's just Skype for an hour, set aside everything else so we can really connect. And so there are ways to use these technologies to get to a place of more quality, but you have to be really conscious about that. And, and I talk about that a little bit in the book. A couple of years ago, I guess maybe it was about a year and a half ago, I was sending out personalized LinkedIn connection requests. I was using an automated tool. Just got to be totally honest there. Uh They were personalizing the LinkedIn connection request. And then they were sending, after the person requested, it was sending a personalized thank you for connecting message. And I was inviting the people to hop on a virtual coffee with me for a half hour just to get to know each other. I put right in the email you know, this is not a sales call. We're not going to be pitching each other. Let's just get to know each other. But a few people, and I, I won't say any more than three, but a few people were offended because they were sure I was going to sell them on something. You know, I uh-huh. don't appreciate this message, but we're getting so inundated on a daily basis with these sales pitches, the unrequested sales pitches that are coming in all the time, that when we get those invitations to connect, it's a few and far between and it's an unexpected surprise yeah you know nowadays there's so much busyness and so much sales that if you do a small act of kindness for friends i'm not that good of a guy but my friends family think i'm really wonderful and the reason is because i do just little things rather consistently you know, like saying, hey, I saw this article online. It's over something that you're interested in. I thought I'd email it to you. You know, it took a minute, but there's so little of that type of just thoughtfulness nowadays that if you do that type of stuff regularly, it's amazing the impact it has on people because we've grown a little bit cynical. So little acts of kindness or good communication actually show up very powerfully now. And in a way, that's good. Here's another, if you really knew me about me, if you really knew me, you would know that I do care very deeply about your birthday and every single holiday that you celebrate. Uh But I could use a Hallmark card distributor right here on my desk, like the paper card. I don't like sending e-cards because they feel card. I want to have like physical cards. Yeah. But I'm notoriously bad at sending cards to people, birthday cards, my parents haven't gotten Father's Day or Mother's Day cards in the last three years or more. Because yeah. by the time I remembered that it was Mother's Day or Father's Day coming up, it was like the day before. <laughs> right. But I can only imagine what it would mean to them next year if I actually remembered in advance. Uh-huh. And they had a card waiting. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. 
or even just get a thoughtful card the next time I go to the grocery and say, hey, I care about you. Sorry, I forgot Mother's Day. <laughs> uh-huh. Little things like that do make a huge difference, both in, in relationships and in your own happiness during the day. I was a happiness expert. I have some books on happiness. And the number one way to improve your own level of happiness is an act of kindness for a stranger or friend. I love that. Jonathan, I just figured out what my not going to the gym penalty or not spending time with my family penalty is going to be. Yeah, what's up? A previous guest, Courtney Daniels, creates handmade carts. So with the money, instead of ripping it up, I'm going to be creating a an envelope that I put money that I'm going to be buying handmade cards from her that I'll be sending uh-huh. out to people. That sounds good. And that way it will be, you know, reinvested. But it, next year, there's no excuse for not having the Mother's Day and the Father's Day card because I'm sure I'll have just a little bit of money <laughs> invested yeah, yeah, right. in, her, in her handmade cards. That was not meant to be yeah. a plug for Courtney, but it worked. I was just thinking that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, thank yourself. You came up with it, and you're the one being inspired. And the key is that we be consistent in communicating in ways that are loving. And even when we're at conflict, how to realize that we're really part of the same team. Mm, I love that. I've shared on one previous episode of the podcast, when my ex and I were getting ready to get married, we were getting married in the Catholic Church, and we actually, we had to go to pre-Kina counseling. And one mm-hmm. of the things that the counselors there were talking about was that if we're arguing, this is so not appropriate, they said, you should always argue naked, because how <laughs> long can you keep a straight face if all your body parts are jiggling while you're in the middle of like throwing your arms around? And I've always just found that so funny. I mean, yeah. with all our kids, it's not <laughs> It wouldn't be at all appropriate, and we don't argue. But I always just found it so funny that they would say that. But seriously, can you imagine how many... (laughs) For people who don't have kids, if they just stripped every time they start arguing, and I'm not saying to have sex, people, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it would just bring humor into the situation and make you really think about, what are we doing? Like, seriously, what are we doing? Yeah, I actually have a bozo nose, a big red bozo mm. nose that if we're getting a little bit too serious and stressed that sometimes I'll put on. And you really can't argue with somebody with a bozo nose on. It just doesn't work. I love that. Yeah, the bozo nose wouldn't last very long in my house with my kids. They would take it in a second. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love that too. Jonathan, this has been just completely awe-inspiring and I thank you for all the inspiration you have given me and I know to the listeners as well where can listeners connect with you online get to know more purchase your books and all of that great stuff well I have a website called morelovelessconflict.com and uh, I have a book called more love less conflict and also they can download the 12 questions for instant intimacy for free from that site And they can read the first chapter of the book for free, and they can contact me there. So that would be a good place to start. Fabulous. Listeners, if you're driving, if you're working out, if you're attempting to not burn dinner, you can find all of the links that Jonathan just mentioned at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP454. And I would love if you head over there 
regardless of whether or not you click the links, you better click the links and leave the inspiration that you had off of this episode in the space below the show notes. Jonathan, again, thank you so much for joining me today and for joining the listeners. Thank you, Kim. It was really fun. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer? I feel like you've already given us so many. Well, I once asked the late Mother Teresa in an interview I did with her and the Dalai Lama for their parting advice, and they both said the same thing. I wasn't interviewing them together, but they said, the most important thing in life is little acts of kindness and love. So I think that's a good thing to remember because love is really what's most important in life when you get right down to it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.